Welcome to Collier's Talks, a podcast series featuring the latest trends, insights, research, and developments in commercial real estate in Canada and beyond. Hi, I'm Jamison Jackson, Managing Director of the Office Practice Group here at Collier's. Today, as part of our Tech to Watch series, part of the Collier's Talks program, we speak to up-and-coming tech leaders about how they started their businesses and what makes them succeed. Stay tuned for what's next. Okay, and good afternoon, and welcome back to the Collier's Tech to Watch program. I'm joined today by, by Brian Sutherland at Yardi Systems, and I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about Yardi and not only sort of your past, but the future as well, and where that goes next. I think a good place to start then, why don't we start with this? Tell me about the origin story of Yardi. How did it get going, and what do you do now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thanks for having me and uh, and thanks for your partnership as well with Yardi. Uh, you guys have been a longtime client and we certainly appreciate that. Uh, so in terms of, of Yardi's background, we were founded uh, here in Santa Barbara, California. That uh, remains our head office. Uh, there's about uh, 800 employees here of our 8,000 employees now. Uh, but on it, Yardi is our, our founder and president. Uh, he uh, founded the company uh, initially as a, a programmer to manage his own properties. And so he invested in uh, multifamily assets here in Santa Barbara and needed an operating platform uh, to collect rent and to manage the accounting uh, for those assets uh, that he had purchased and uh, developed a, a software package to do that. And so uh, that was 40 years ago uh, this year that uh, he built that business and, and we've grown to become the largest uh, software provider uh, globally in the space. And so uh, on it uh, still remains very active with the business uh, as do uh, his sons. So uh, on its two sons are Kevin and Jason, um, but uh, it's a family run business now. Um, and uh, I think that's something that we really hang our hats on uh, in terms of being uh, a family, uh, being a family business. Uh, I think, you know, when you look at a lot of our competitors out in the space, they're either VC funded or um, have gone public. Uh, but I think having that, that private ownership, I think, makes us uh, unique in the marketplace. Tell me how. Well, I think, uh, you know, as a privately owned business, we can uh, we don't answer shareholders. We have, we have no outside investments or investors. And, and with that, we can really take the business uh, where we like it to go. Um, I think. Uh, many times, you know, if you have outside investors, you're beholden to where they want to go, and they might have different different objectives uh, for their business uh, and, and where they want to want to bring it. And uh, I think it complicates things at times. Um, uh, certainly has some advantages as well. But uh, being an entrepreneur myself, uh, I was uh, uh, entrepreneur for 17 years prior to joining Yardi. And uh, it was a good spot to land. It felt like home. And uh, I think, you know, coming in here and, and feeling like it's a family business, even though we're 8,000 strong, um, it still has that culture. And uh, that's, you know, something that I really enjoy about it. Also can allow a much longer time investment uh, and investment horizon. So, you know, in a publicly traded company, you're often looking at quarterly reports. That's right. Business, You can say, we know that this is going to cost us for two years, but it's worth it long term. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's something that uh, that we certainly acknowledge. We do a lot of development, um, 1500 developers here and uh, put out a lot of product. Uh, we don't always get it right the first time. Um, and sometimes we bring things to market and uh, we have a long runway to, to make sure it's successful and, and really you know, work with our clients to ensure that the product's right um, before we bring it to market. And, and to your point, um, 
we don't have to, you know, hit a quarterly uh, number and we don't have that type of pressure on us. And so I think uh, that's given us an advantage, I think, in the marketplace. Makes sense. So maybe let's talk about where you are now. So who is Yardi's ideal client and how are you uniquely positioned to serve them? Yeah, so I think uh, maybe I'll just uh, start by saying Yardi's 100% real estate focused from a platform perspective. Um, we serve uh, all asset classes. So, um, uh, you know, multifamily would be our, our largest group, um, followed by, by commercial. Uh, commercial is the group that, that I oversee from a sales and marketing perspective. Um, and as we define that, um, uh, office, industrial, retail, uh, emerging mar markets like uh, co-working. Um, we also have corporate occupancy. Uh, in terms of uh, our ideal client, um, I mean, we have so many great clients here. It's tough to say who our ideal client is. Sure. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I would look at at our values uh, as an organization. Um, and, um, you know, as an organization, we're really focused on our clients. Uh, we're really focused on innovation. We're really focused on our employees. Uh, and we're really focused on philanthropic efforts as well. And so I think when we find companies that have the same sort of values, um, you know, we typically have very long-term partnerships. In fact, I, uh, just uh, a number to share in our average customer has been with us for 17 years. And so uh, when we enter these relationships, uh, we like to align with them. We like to partner with them. We like to grow with them. Um, and I think uh, more so, you know, more than what we're looking for out of them, uh, I think uh, I would like to flip it and say, we like to, to understand what they are looking for and how we can grow with them. Um, and we love having that. We love when a, a customer has a challenge. You know, I think we can look at COVID, for example. And uh, for us, you know, the first thing we thought about was what impact is this going to have on real estate. And so we uh, underwrote uh, a couple uh, projects, one with, with uh, Realcom, where we tried to bring in industry experts in terms of what's going on in, in, in the market. Uh, we underwrote a, uh, a tenant impact survey with Boma International. Uh, and in that survey, it was, uh, you know, 3,000 tenant decision makers that we um, did a survey with in terms of uh, what their needs were uh, post-pandemic and, and really, um, you know, what was going to what was going to take to get their employees back into the office, office, for example, or when they're assessing space needs, what were they really thinking about? Were they going to downsize? Were they going to expand their space because of space density and those uh, sorts of things? And so, um, those are just a couple, you know, kind of unique projects that we did in response to the pandemic. And then from a platform perspective, I could say, you know, we directly changed our platform based upon what was going on. Um, what we saw was investors were asking more questions in terms of who's our tenant base, right? And you can maybe take industrial, for example, and uh, by uh, classification or maybe SIC code, you can really qualify your tenants with risk. And so for, uh, a tenant that was maybe in cold beverage storage was doing quite well during the pandemic. Uh, there was more need for that. Uh, another tenant that might've been in um, uh, storage for you know, party rentals and events, they would have been maybe put at more risk. And so we kind of changed our platform to really track more at the tenant level and give more uh, visibility into tenant risk. Cause that's what I think landlords were looking for. That's what investors were looking for. Interesting. It's an interesting pivot because if you can drill down into NAIC codes, 
yeah, what they're really looking about is how do they manage their risk and how do they maximize that asset? And in a COVID situation is, yeah, how do you play defense more effectively? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or looking at, you know, even, um, you know, looking at different cities and, and looking at things like weighted average lease expiration, right? And what's our overall exposure in a given market? And so, you know, we're starting to look at items like that. And, you know, New York City, for example, uh, their average weighted lease expiration was seven and a half years. Where other markets, uh, say like a Miami, shorter term leases, it was about four and a half years. And so you can take that and say there's some risk with that, right? And, and maybe Miami might be at more risk than New York City because uh, the lease expirations are going to come up quicker. And so when those decisions are being oh, made in terms paying. of... Yes. What's that? As long as everyone's paying, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then there's other factors, right? And, and there's migration going on. Um, and so in the States, what we've seen is, is a migration to the South. A lot more folks are moving, say, out of California and they're going to Texas, they're going to Florida. And so with that, you know, is Miami at more risk than New York City? I don't know. I mean, it, it's something that I think you have to kind of evaluate, but there's a lot of different ways and lenses to look at, at uh, items like that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're always trying to help out our customers and evaluate uh, overall risk for them and uh, the business as a whole. Okay, makes sense. I thought that was an interesting approach where you're saying your ideal customer is actually a, a company that aligns with similar values which I think is interesting because that'll allow you to iterate faster and go faster together. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like um, the productive meetings are the collaborative meetings we have with our clients. And, and when I say that, you know, really understanding where they're going strategically. Um, and I think, um, you know, you look at REITs, for example, and by and large, REITs were single asset class REITs. There'd be, you know, REITs that would specialize in industrial or REITs that would specialize in office. Uh, and now we're seeing more of a convergence of asset classes. And we're seeing multifamily clients moving into industrial. We see um, uh, folks that might've been in office, maybe thinking about going into multifamily, maybe thinking about going into more mixed use uh, projects. But, um, that's the type of thing, those major shifts is what drives our platform uh, forward and really understanding, uh, you know, where they're going, where the market's going, and then how can we evolve? The last thing we want to do is sit there and, and not ever change and say, we have a you know, great platform. We have 50% of the market share on, on the commercial and multifamily side and uh, tailwinds are, uh, uh, you know, with us. But, uh, you know, I think if you stop innovating, stop growing, uh, that's where your risk really is. And I think that's, that's you know, from a software provider, as well as a, a service provider, as well as, a, you know, a commercial landlord. That makes sense. And I suppose being a family-run business, that also gives you the edge to be a lot more nimble. So when the market does shift, as we've seen over the last two years, you can add more products, features, shift the focus of what you're doing much more easily. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And uh, I'm, I'm always surprised at qu how quickly things can move here. Um, and, uh, you know, we've made acquisitions in certain spaces that uh, have been unknowns, right? Uh, and, an example would be maybe co-working. So we, we uh, acquired a, a co-working company Oh, roughly about five years ago that had an operating platform to really manage the short-term leases, um, manage the members, try to get a better experience, manage Wi-Fi, partitioning of that um, uh, private office uh, rentals, that type of thing. Um, and 
I, I would say we had a, a huge downturn uh, come uh, March 2020. Um, and I think there was a lot of uncertainty. And I, I would I would say most would, would think that co-working would be at risk and, and be at risk long-term. And I think what we have seen is uh, the need for more flexibility. Uh, so employees uh, want that, they want flexible schedules. Uh, I think for them to return to the office, they want more collaboration uh, space, uh, space for coaching um, and, and really a better built environment. And so um, we've seen, I think, an uptick in co-working. And I would say this year is very positive. Um, our numbers showed about a thousand new operators in the last couple of years have actually popped up. Many have gone out of business at the beginning stages of the pandemic, but may, many are emerging. And uh, as corporate occupiers as well are thinking about you know, their space needs and what's important to them, I think it's a viable uh, line of business. And I think it's something that uh, we probably wouldn't have predicted uh, March, 2020. I can agree with that. And that also matches with our data. I mean, our own internal data is showing that you know, up to a 500% increase in demand for co-working space because wow. there's a desire for flexibility and people are willing to purchase that flexibility. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no doubt about it. And, and I joke, I was uh, in New York a, a few weeks ago and meeting with some, some uh, clients there and uh, talking to them in terms of, you know, return to office and, um, you know, what they're seeing. Uh, the numbers uh, that they were talking about uh, were roughly in the range of, of 25 to 35% of employees were, were coming back at least, uh, you know, a couple, two, three days a week. Um, and, uh, I would say New York felt good though, and uh, that, but that number felt accurate uh, as well. But while I was there, I was joking with them and said, oh, yeah, you know, I come back into the office, I'm here today. And uh, typically speaking, I got about 9,000 square feet to myself. And so there's, there's a lot of space, there's a lot of cubes, there's a lot of empty offices. And it's this interesting time right now because I come in and unless my team's here, uh, outside of getting away from maybe the distractions at home and changing up my, my you know, work environment. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to see what's going to get me back. And, and I think what we're going to see is the, the class A, class A plus offices that have the amenities, that have a, a really nice built environment. That's where I think we're going to see office thrive, and I think that's where we're going to see a reduction of risk. Uh, if you look at you know the lower class uh, of office buildings, you know what's the difference of working in your room than going to an office? And if the experience isn't any different, uh, and the employees, because the job market maybe can't request their employees to come back in right now, you know, what's really going to be that that driver. And so it'll be interesting to see how things pan out um, in the future and, and see how, um, you know, things evolve. Let's talk about that, actually. So how do, how is Yardi using their real estate to grow their business? Because I'm sure it's, as you mentioned, it's changed a lot. How are you using your, re your own real estate to grow the business now? Yeah, so, so interesting. Um, when uh, the pandemic happened, uh, we uh, went from virtually 100% uh, work from office to virtually 100% work from home. And if it was 95, 5%, it became 5%, 95%. Uh, and that ended up being the easiest 
part of the equation, getting employees out of the office. We had technology to support it. Uh, Microsoft Teams was just coming in. Webcams were just starting to, to be used. And, and of course, all that was accelerated due, due to the pandemic. Uh, the challenge, though, that we found as an organization in terms of our own real estate is um, how do we get people back in? And, and so we actually developed an, an occupancy management application that allowed uh, employees of Yardi to uh, you know, see who was working that day from a mobile mobile device to see what uh, space was available for them to use to reserve a space to reserve a conference room, uh, and that's something that we we had had have since packaged and kind of put out in the market. Uh, but it was a tool that we initially used for our employees because it's a real problem. You know, how how is space going to be used? How do you get visibility? How do you collaborate with your team and understand what days you should come in? And how do you facilitate? Um, you know. Uh, office reentry in this flexible hybrid manner. Uh, so I would say that that's one example. We've had other examples though too, where um, you know in in Miami we made a commitment to a co-working location because that seemed to be uh, most of our co-working team happened to be out of that Miami area as well. Um, but we had, you know, folks that want to come in, still see each other, but we may not have needed a big office. And so that was another example of how we kind of occupied uh, the space. And I would say it's still early stages, though, uh, more broadly. Um, you know, I think uh, if you would have asked me uh, a year ago, I would have said, yeah, you know, after Labor Day 2021, we'll all be back in the office. If yeah, And then that obviously changed. And then I would have said it would have been January 2022. I think, you know, right after the holiday season, we'll get back in. That's changed. Uh, now, April 1st is when I uh, would say things will start to go back to normal and we'll see, you know, um, we'll see how this all pans out. Uh, it's hard to predict exactly what it will look like, um, but uh, it's going to be different. I think we all need to learn, you know, whether, uh, you know, we're, we're in the real estate business or not, but, you know, it's, uh, it's and there's so many driving factors from gas prices right now, right, to, uh, the way the job market is. And in many respects, I, I say the tail's wagging the dog. And you have major companies like, you know, Jamie Dimon at, you know, JP Morgan isn't requiring folks in finance to come back into the office. And you would say, you know, that's kind of a, a major area where you think that demand would be there. Uh, will that change? Uh, you know, uh, maybe if gas prices do, maybe if the job market changes, we'll see a bigger shift and more demand for that. But I think everyone's being very careful uh, and trying to be calculated with these decisions and not move too quickly. Yep. Yeah, I think a lot of companies are just starting to bring their teams back in a hybrid workplace right now. And the question is, how do those teams work together? That until individual companies have a handle on that, it's going to be hard to, to make planning decisions. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I would say, uh, interestingly enough, I think commercial office landlords <laughs> probably are the closest folks that have the answer. And the way, and the reason I say that is uh, they were the ones requiring their employees to come back in uh, right after uh, the kind of first wave and the lockdown and us flattening the curve. And then they had their employees come back. And so they were, you know, in many respects, kind of the guinea pigs in terms of getting employees back, what sort of health and safety measures needed to be there? How do, you know, how do they kind of communicate this? Did they go hybrid? Did they go full? 
you know, full 100% back in the office. And so, um, you know, they needed to encourage employees to come back. They wanted business as usual. And uh, that makes sense that they would have that demand. See that? You talked a little bit about, you know, the labor market shifts and the tail wagging the dog. Tell me about that. How does that affect the Yardi and, you know, this challenges around the labor market? I mean, have you experienced that? How are you- <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. We've got hundreds of job openings right now, and it's, it's very yeah. challenging to hire people. Yeah, we have hundreds as well. <laughs> and uh, I would say it's been very tough. And uh I would say from a salary requirements standpoint, uh, you know, we felt the pressure there, um, meaning employees are coming back in and they're getting multiple offers or it's tougher for them to leave, you know, their current position. Uh, so that's been challenging. And um, I, I think that's maybe one aspect of it. Um, but because of the labor shortage, because I think uh, everyone's busy and they might be wearing more than one hat now, right? and uh, have demand on their team in terms of, uh, you know, headcount and uh, taking on more responsibility than, than they maybe previously had. Uh, at least with our customers, I think it's a challenge because how do they take on projects, right? They might have an initiative to bring on a construction and development solution, you know, that we, we really need this solution in place. It's going to save us X, Y, and Z, but yikes, we don't have anyone to implement this product. And how do we change course when we're understaffed, we're all overburdened, and, uh, and you know, how do you effectively kind of carve out that time? And so I think that's always been a challenge with our customers. You know, real estate is a good business to be in. I think it's growing and uh, everyone's busy, but then you take the labor shortages on top of it and uh, certainly kind of uh, makes it a bigger challenge. Of course, of course. Tell me this then. So, what's next for Yardi? Like, what does the future look like? What, I guess, how is Yardi going to change over the next few years? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I would say we're constantly evolving, um, and uh, you know, with that, uh, I think the acceptance of change, uh, the acceptance of, of taking on risk, uh, uh, being uh, willing to fail. Uh, I think is also uh, very key. Um, but uh, I, I think you know, not having the blinders on, uh, I think would be a huge uh, statement, you know, and, and just really understanding what's going on in the market. Um, and uh, our, our company is driven by uh, market, it's driven by uh, customers. Um, and it's going to be uh, interesting. You know, anytime there is disruption in the market, like we've seen, um, uh, there's a need to be resilient uh, and evolve. And there's always a resurgence as well. And what that resurgence is gonna be, uh, I think is, is what's uh, most key. And we need to listen uh, more carefully now than ever and we need to continue to take risk as an organization. We need to continue to grow uh, and we need to continue to evolve. Uh, what that looks like exactly, uh, certainly hard to say, um, but I will say uh, that's what I love about working for this company is, is just the amount of innovation. Our, our product mix uh, looked very different uh, in 1982 than it did in 92, 2002, and uh, 2012, right? And uh, and today, 
but um, that's that's what I, I love about it. And um, I, I love the fact that we're focused on product, we're focused on innovation and things continue to evolve. Um, and I think, you know, for us changing maybe the perception of us being just a property management and accounting platform and really having a, a solution to serve all aspects of real estate operations, um, I think has been uh, what has been exciting over the last five, five years, especially for me on the commercial side. Very good. Well, Brian, thank you very much for joining us uh, on that Collier's Tech to Watch program. This has been an interesting conversation, and we really look forward to seeing uh, where Yardy goes over those next few years and see where you innovate to next. Yeah, we'll really appreciate the time and, and uh, for having me join. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for listening to Collier's Talks podcast. To learn more about Collier's Canada, our experts, and our solutions, visit colliercanada.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.